Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of Untitled Tall Geese podcast. I'm Mallory, and I'll be your host for this episode. And I'm joined, as always, by Kat, Kathy, and Caitlin. Today, we're talking about Gundam Wing episodes 29 and 30. So episode 29 is titled The Heroine of the Battlefield, and unfortunately, it opens with a bunch of old dudes debating whether to allow the despotic Romafeller Foundation to control their respective countries. Fortunately, it's then revealed that it's a bunch of old dudes and Rolina, notably sitting at the head of the table. She convinces them instead to follow the Sank Kingdom and attain true peace. Meanwhile, Hiro and Katra have a moment of joy on the beach with some dogs, but as with most joy these days, it's fleeting because soldiers are rolling out with orders to execute them. They meet up with some G.I. Joes, I mean Oz soldiers, and they learn that there's a bounty on their heads. Sally Poe, meanwhile, is piloting a carrier with Hiro's wing Gundam, but she is surrounded by enemies, so she crashes and is captured by Oz. Noyan aids Sally Poe's escape, they bond over their fondness for reckless Gundam pilots and their propensity to kick the shit out of bad people, and Mallory gains a new Gundam wing ship. Exciting. We learn that in addition to her peacemaking activities as a leader of the Saint Kingdom, Rolina has opened an institute named TBD and has accepted into it a student from the Romafeller Foundation, or Duke Dermale's granddaughter, named Dorothy Catalonia. Three things to know about Dorothy. She has amazing eyebrows, drives a gigantic car, and loves war. Episode 30 is called The Reunion with Rolina, so you can guess what's about to happen. Hiro and Katra have met up with the so-called Trey's faction, and Hiro decides to work with them because he's a soldier and that's what soldiers do. Fight or something. Katra refuses to take part, so he walks into the nearby city and watches Oz troops harass an old man. He then befriends that old man, and in some convenient plot exposition, the man tells Katra about the Sank Kingdom and its pacifist evangelizing. He puts two and two together and realizes that he and Hiro have to get to the Sank Kingdom to protect Relina and help her spread pacifist ideals. Hiro catches a glimpse of citizens fleeing the chaos and decides to defend the city. He's outgunned by Virgo mobile dolls, saved by Katra, and picked up by Noin. In a completely different world, Rolina is in what appears to be an all-female institute debating pacifism and war with Dorothy, who, again, loves war, very pro-war. Naturally, Rolina wants to be best friends with her. Girl, you can't love her into changing. Rolina's trusted advisor, Pagan, tells her hero Yui is back in town and Noin is bringing him here. The episode ends with an injured hero walking down the airplane steps while she watches, chin in hand. In the last podcast episodes I was wondering like where Rolina was and what she'd been doing and it's fun because now I know so let's talk about Rolina because she was a big part of these episodes where she had like completely disappeared when the Gundam pilots went to space I am fascinated by her being both the head of the country and running an institute and also being a student at that institute where she's ostensibly learning to lead a country And she's also teaching in one of the scenes in episode 30. Yeah, she's leading a discussion at least. But we don't see any actual teachers. It's anime rules, you guys. The students are the teachers. The students are the chairman. the The students are the presidents of the country. It's There are no adults here. I do feel like when you first meet her in episode 29, she felt like she had matured a lot. You know, she has her hair up in her classic 
leader of the Sank Kingdom outfit, which is really different than her hair down, tiny little braids connected in the back schoolgirl version. She gives this speech, which, you know, this is not her first time making a speech, but it might be the first time where she makes a speech as a leader as opposed to a rebellious schoolgirl who's trying to overthrow everything and anything around her. And, you know, one of the first things she says is something like, freedom is a right that everyone has. And I thought her next line was going to be something like, so, you know, people need to be given the right to choose to fight as well. But actually, her next line was something much more complicated and mature in a way, which is that even peace requires a type of sacrifice, right? Like people need to tolerate each other. And it just felt very much like a girl coming into her own as an adult. Yeah, I mean, you're you're finally seeing her taking everything that she has learned through her experience and relationships with the various Gundam pilots, her dad, um, and her kind of realizing what legacy she's like stepping into. Boy, I wonder what her mom is doing right now. Guess we'll never know. I don't think we ever see her mother again. Yeah, we'll never, we never see her again, I'm pretty sure. Um, in Relina's speech, she also said people cannot be given complete freedom, which didn't feel like a very Relina-y statement, but I guess it was also maybe there to show that she's maybe moved beyond her initial naivety. I think it's her kind of realizing that, like you were saying, Kathy, you expect her to stick with the idealism that we have come to expect from her. And this is her saying, like, no, actually, people need rules and society kind of needs, like, boundaries. Um, And that boundary should come with, like, tolerating one another and our differences. And the Institute is founded specifically to teach the pacifism of the Sank Kingdom and her philosophy, which she feels that she is uh, transmitting from her forefathers in a way. Um, So it, it does seem like the, like, the deliberate program of Relina and the Saint Kingdom right now is to export this pacifism and to train the new generation in their philosophy, which does uh, support this idea that freedom can't be totally free, that it requires rules and training and education. I think we get to see the evolution of her in three different ways. Like, we still see her as a student, as um, this government leader, and then we see sort of the reflection of her and the Saint Kingdom's influence on the villagers, which was kind of an interesting choice to me versus showing her pontificating more, which is kind of how we've seen all the leaders thus far. Yeah, although I don't know if the people were actually reacting to her so much as the fact that Clearly, the Sand Kingdom has been around for a bit. You know, there are these other old guys. So, But they were from different countries. They weren't Sand Kingdom. But clearly, they they hadn't come into pacifism in the last couple of days while Relina was leading. And I felt the same way about the village. It seemed like everybody there had this studied tradition of pacifism that I think Relina has become a figurehead for. But I don't think it was just because of her. I guess I sort of saw Relina more as becoming the figurehead of the Sand Kingdom. So when everyone mentioned, like, references the Sand Kingdom, like, our mysterious country that we're not going to name wouldn't have been able to do this without the support of the Sand Kingdom. So in that way, it is Relina. I think what that exchange that you were talking about, Kat, was trying to show is, like, it's very convenient plot development for us as viewers and for the show because it's like yeah the Sand Kingdom has had a lot of influence on these areas 
you and Katra are kind of being caught up with the reinvigorating of like pacifist ideals that Relina has kind of brought. And what Relina has been doing all this time, like it's sort of, this is how much the Saint Kingdom has grown because before this, before Zex like liberated it, like it was just another occupied country. So this is the Peacecraft's return is really what makes it notable. I did not get that sense, but I kind of just thought that, you know, I think the Saint Kingdom has always been the last remaining outpost of the idea of pacifism. And I sort of read a lot of the people in episode 30, the mayor whose name I don't remember, and then the old guy who talks to Katra as hearkening back to this tradition of pacifism. And they get their support now from the Saint Kingdom and Relina reinvigorating that and becoming a point of strength now that they're actually actively being attacked by the Ramafellers. But I didn't read it as like they were inspired by her. The Oz soldier literally is talking to the mayor and he's like, wow, it's really convenient for you guys to suddenly become pacifists now that we need you to support us in this attack. And your occupying forces have been become inconvenient. So it's obviously new. Oh, I, I didn't read that conversation that way, but maybe that's just how I read it. Like, I read it as him being like, oh, well, you weren't against us when we were protecting you, but now that we need your help and support to fight, you're a pacifist. So I don't think these positions are are totally opposed. I don't think these readings are totally opposed. I, I think that it is essentially... They, they clearly have an existing idea about pacifism. Right. Obviously, they knew about the Saint Kingdom before... Obviously, they probably felt that way when Oz was oppressing them as well, but they didn't have the support. Right, I agree with that. And so Relina offers the support by reviving the Saint Kingdom, which has been liberated by Zex. The Saint Kingdom itself is able to offer support to these other countries, which allows them to oppose Oz. And become pacifists. Uh I also think that part of the reference here is to Japan in the post-war period when... Uh, militarism has been outlawed and even though in that case like historically that's imposed from above by the American written constitution um, it still was for a very long time something that uh, the people themselves very much supported and endorsed and took as a symbol of pride mostly because in wartime the people who suffer the most are those people who like the villagers are just these, these little peons these little nobodies the war never benefits the the little people aside from like relina and what she's been doing i also want to talk about the institute because it wasn't named right i don't remember if there was a name that was given to it like is it just the relina peacecraft institute for peace or something um (laughs) for girls who want to peace good yeah (laughs) if that's not what it's called that is now what it's called and i'm a little confused like pagan is about what dorothy is even doing in in the saint kingdom because she's duke dermale's granddaughter she loves war she loves she loves you guys did you know she loves war so much (laughs) every like camera angle on her face the expressions on her face just remind me of Trey's, and I can't tell if it's just sort of animation. The, eye- the eyebrows? The, yeah, if it's the eyebrows. It's the eyebrows. Or if the show is trying to tell me something about, like, who she is and her deviousness. They are definitely trying to tell you something about her. So, yeah. Okay, because I was yeah. like, is this just a rich so when- people thing, or 
It's this, it is also uh, a rich people thing. <laughs> look, her giant yeah. ass car is amazing when they show the aerial shot of her car next to Relina's. Yes. Yes. Like yes. Three times as big. <laughs> and then... And she's driving herself, too, isn't she? Yes. Yeah, she is I love herself. it. She doesn't have a driver. But so when, when these episodes started, one of my thoughts about Relina was that, like, I'm looking at Relina doing her peace thing, and I thought to myself, I would like Relina a little bit more if she had a little bit more of a shiftiness or, like, a planning or, like, a vibe where there's something underneath like a cunning. this, like... Yeah, like, if she was slightly cunning... And then Dorothy showed up, and I was like, I regret that. <laughs> I want pure Relina, naivete, pacifism. Dorothy is too much for me. What I love about Dorothy is I don't actually think she does anything particularly mean girl in these two episodes, at least. She just comes off really direct and really extreme and really earnest, right? Like, she. Oh, yeah. I thought she was being very condescending. <laughs> I also love Dorothy, so part of this is a bias, but I think, like, she she's just so direct about like what it is that she believes i guess you could read her as condescending but if you don't read her as condescending she just very directly tells like relina what she believes what she's there for but also that she respects what relina's doing and so it's like it's it's almost like what do you do with her you can't really do anything with her she's a weirdo i actually think that if we were in a real high school if we were away from all the dynamics of politics and stuff and they showed us what the school is really like Dorothy would not be a mean girl because she's too she's weird. So weird. Like she's too intense. She has no ability to modulate her her behavior. She can't like command other people very well, probably because she's so. Yeah, dramatic. nobody else in that classroom was like, "Oh wow, she's got great <laughs> ideas." Like when Hero was just saying whatever bullshit. Yeah, like everyone looks really perturbed by her when she's talking about how much she loves war, and I guess it makes sense because everyone is there. To, to learn, learn how peace. to be a pacifist. <laughs> yeah. Also, here's my question. I don't feel like people in real life love war because they can profit from it or because it gives them power or prestige. Are there really that many people who just no. love war for war? No. Is this a real opinion? Okay, so it sort of felt like the weird like evolutionary psych dudes that are like oh i gotta eat meat because we're made to fight and hunt like but like you're noble so it's about war this is just what men is made to do yeah i do think there's a there's obviously a through line mallory was it you who said this like is dorothy supposed to remind you of trace absolutely i do think there is a through line where dorothy represents the opposite of total pacifism but not in the aggressive male sense that I think Ramafeller or Oz or any of the fighting is supposed to be, it's like, what if we had not total pacifism, but a woman was doing it? And I think that's what... I remember what? my thesis that, like, nobody who wrote Gundam Wing has ever met a woman, and then you come up with Dorothy. The way that gender is portrayed in these episodes really struck me because that image in episode 30 of Hero in the middle of a jungle battle, like he's sweaty and in green and brown and shadows. And then it cuts like pretty much directly from the middle of war to Relina in her little institute surrounded by women and everyone is in pink and white talking about pacifism. The dynamics of that sort of male idea of war and battle versus feminine ideals of peace and being thoughtful um just really struck me because it was just so stark 
like that contrast. I really liked the visual of him popping out of the trees in the Leo. And again, I think this episode is all about, yeah, these contrasts and parallels. It's sort of like, here's the reality of war versus the sort of ivory tower theoretical discussion that they're having. Yeah, I also think the problem that Dorothy is sort of suggesting to Rolina is that what are you going to do when war comes to you? Like, what is going to happen when your pacifism has to... has to fight has to has to be confronted with this and the solution seems to be that the Gundam pilots are going to come to her and rescue her (laughs) right I mean which is which which isn't a great solution for pacifism in real life if you're trying to implement well there's that push pull with them because that's why I thought she was a little condescending because Relina pushes back and she goes well you might think that my ideas are naive and Dorothy's just like yeah but people love to fight I do want to say that despite this division, Noin and Sally managed to cross over between these two worlds in a way because they seem like they know what they're doing and what they came for in episode 29 when Noin comes to rescue Sally. Like both of them seem like they had plans and those plans intersect and they're clearly trying to talk about things strategically, but it's about this intersection between war and peace, like, you know, male and femaleness, if you want to use those words, and like adult and, you know, adulation of the Gundam pilots while also recognizing that they're total child weirdos who are forced into fighting. And so I think there are amazing characters that thread their way through episode 29. And of course, Noin's kind of sting at the end of episode 30 as well. I was going to bring up Noin and Sally Poe and the portrayal of gender because, yeah, they're really cool. And it's, you know, I love a cool fighting lady. So they get um, their own like monocolored, like swing moment when Noin jumps jumps through the window yes. and I, yeah. I was like yes yeah that was i was good. like oh the show the show is is signaling something to me this is a meet cute but the thing is that, they, that you can also contrast the way that they are sort of generally styled and present themselves very much so with the way that relina is generally portrayed and shown so noin and sally pope have both as far as i can remember never worn a skirt like they both wear pants they're around mostly men all the time. They they fight in a way that Relina has never been shown to be able to, I guess. And it, there's like this sense that the show is telling me that they're not feminine in the way that like Relina is feminine. You know, like they're women, but they're different than what we think of as most women. Yes, and this is also why I love Dorothy, but I will not spoil it for you. I think that Relina is supposed to be showing a strength that isn't from the battlefield. Whether whether we could call it a feminine strength or not, she is supposed to be sh- she is being shown as strong uh, in a way that is similar to the strength that Sally Poe and Noin have. It's just that their strength is expressed through fighting because that's what their background is in. Um, and so I think it's yeah no I just I just think it's it's showing us a variety of different women in some ways because maybe that's just one thing the Gundam writers could understand was that some some women can do fighting and that's hot uh. I mean it is um I like that Relina Relina shows that switch too though she has the 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 traditional garb or whatever that Noin Noin gave her and that's what she's presenting herself as like the civic leader but like, she still gets to be, like, feminine and herself, too. So she's retaining that part of herself in a way that maybe, like, soldiers wouldn't be able to. Right. Like, she gets to stay soft. And that's that, that visual pop. Yeah. Like, maybe Noin and 
like the show is saying Noida and Sally Poe are just surrounded by men and so they must act this way in order to be respected by them. I kind of see what Mallory is saying, but I don't think it's men. I think it's war. Like, mm-hmm. I think the show is yeah. saying that Noin and Sally are touched by war and they can't do anything about it. And so they have to sort of pursue this path. I think Noin even says something like, you know, I'm going to protect Rolina or I'm going to protect the Sand Kingdom even if I have to play dirty or there's some line like that, right? I'll be in the right. shadows. She's, she's the mm-hmm. one who can dirty exactly. herself. Yeah. And, and so I think that's the purity and beauty of Rolina is I don't think she ever actually pilots a mobile suit in the entirety of this series. And that's very important, right? Which is Mm -hmm. that she is purity and she is pacifism and she is not fighting. That image of Relina is so important to Noin too, which I think her devotion to the peace crafts is so intense and this desire to uphold this pacifistic ideal through fighting. Wait a second. Mm -hmm. Where the heck is Zach? Where is he? I've been wondering that. Yeah. Where is Zex? Um, is Zex still in space? Because that's where we sp- left him. Yeah, he was in space the last time we yeah, saw maybe him. Maybe he's just doing—he's just doing diplomacy there in the colonies. He's out—he's out talking to people. Um, my headcanon currently for Noin is that she's in love with Zex, but Zex is too ideal of a figure for her to touch physically, so she hooks up with women. That's fair. Oh, that's sure. this, this is my current that... my current narration of Noin's is uh, sexual. Well, that's what Noin is telling herself anyway. Yeah. Uh, so I, I also wanted to talk about Hero and Katra's adventures after la- landing back on Earth in episode twenty nine because the scene with the dogs was so was cute, so sweet. Like there, were, I think there were a lot of really strangely sweet, cheesy moments. The beach scene is like the some of the best looking animation for the two of yes. them too. There's that that one close up of Hero's face where he the do- he's playing with the dogs. He's so cute. His little eyelashes. Yes, episode 29 yeah. is so well animated. And I get that it's because I think it's the second season debut opening episode. And I think if you were to try to create like what Hiro Yui is supposed to look like all the time, if he's on model, it's every scene in episode 29. He looks so good in episode 29. Like he looks a little bit like flinty and hard, but like also kind of cute and like wild in the same way that Dorothy says that he's wild later in episode 30. And they give him these little eyelashes and they always make the light fall on his face in a way that's really nice. And same thing. His lips are a little soft. Yeah, like there's a lot of really great expressions. And then even with Noin and Sally later, I think they did such a great job animating both of them so that you could see expressions pass through their face, which you don't always see in every episode of Gundam Wing. And I'm thinking of specifically... I think at the end of episode 29, when Noin pops out of that suit and there's the reflection of water against both the cancer and the background and her skin. And I was like, wow, somebody really put some budget into episode 29 because you're not going to see that again. To be fair, Noin gets a lot of sexy animation moments. I think I, I posted one somewhere where she's posing with that motorcycle and it's literally like a 15 second shot of her just on the motorcycle. She's like the coolest fucking character. Yeah, she... She and, really yeah, is. Noin gets all the sexy, cool girl shots. And her style is so cool. Like, she always looks so on point and has big Lula energy with Sally Poe. Sally Poe doesn't usually look as cool. I know we've talked about sort of the racialization, not racialization of Sally Poe, but I did feel like they were giving me, like, Sally Poe is Chinese or <laughs> of some Chinese descent with the animation. Really? How so? Um, the eye shape is like totally different from most of the other characters except 
Wufei. Oh, I agree. Yeah. Her eye shape is Wufei's eye shape. Like yeah. it's very. I guess that is it, true. It's yeah. become a lot more slant slanted. <laughs> um, speaking of racializing characters, the way that the Trace faction was portrayed too, the like de facto Roma Feller people they meet on the beach in the tents right. that are like, we don't want to kill you. And then the Trace Faction dudes, like, you're getting some real G.I. Joe-ass face animations there. Yeah, and especially in the dub, they have, like, really thick southern drawls and, <laughs> oh, like, God. that coupled with the fatigues and the warfare in the jungle. like The glasses, the sunglasses. The sunglasses, like, really makes you think, like, like G.I. Joe cartoons specifically, um, and also then the Vietnam War. And I'm, I'm not sure if... That's just because I am I as an American and a Western viewer have been so inundated with this kind of imagery that when I see it in a, a show in which the context is different, it it still hits me that way. I really want to believe that like animators, maybe not necessarily, I don't really think G.I. Joe is a particularly popular cultural import to Japan, although they did have it. I guess one thing to note is apparently one of their animation series was made in Japan. Like, they outsourced the animation to Toei in Japan. So it's not that crazy to believe that either somebody had that experience or knew somebody who had that experience or watched it or had experience with it because of that. So cool. Yeah, someone yeah, someone could have worked cool. on it, literally. Do you think the yeah. show is like then trying to tell me that Hiro and Katra are in Gundam Wing America? Or is it just like, these are just random soldiers in a random jungle? I think the show has completely really let go and lost any touch it had with real geography at this point. Um, <laughs> yeah, wait, where where are they? What a I good question. They're in some unnamed country. I, I assume it- they were European because they're like, all of these other countries are being influenced by the Sank Kingdom, so I sort of assume they were like other small, fake European countries. I don't know why I assume yes, that. Yes, in the, the famous jungles of Europe. <laughs> the famous jungle. Well, I don't know. <laughs> That's what I, like... Well, okay, to be but fair, that looked like a European hamlet, so... It yeah, is. there's. It could very well be European. I think that's a. That's we a don't know what the Earth looks like in AC one nine five. Okay. <laughs> yeah, there. That could be why they went to the colonies because of global warming creating jungles in Europe. Um, I really appreciated that episode twenty nine was a callback to essentially the opening of Gundam Wing, and again, this is because I think it's like the revamp season two. So if you read. If you, like, look at episode 29 and its whole structure, like, again, Gundam wing, like, Hiro's Gundam is in the ocean. They had to trawl it and dig it back up, you know? And, like, there's, in fact, somebody who comes in and tries to stop that from being dug up the same way that Hiro and Duo have that fight over retrieving wing Gundam from the bottom of the water. Um, And then the episode also ends with a girl who came out of a limo, this time Dorothy's big yellow limo, and it's Dorothy yelling into yeah. nothingness but this time for war to come instead of like Hiro to come and find her and kill her um, instead of it, getting shot by the yeah. water they get to hang out with dogs that exactly. was a nice change so like I, yeah. I think there's all these interesting little callbacks and but the really cool thing is you know the person or the actors you think who have agency now starting in episode 29 have completely changed I think if you had asked anybody who started the show it was the Gundam pilots but now it's like everybody around them is really the people who have agency and are using them like little chess pieces around the board so it's just like this really cool series reset where we're kind of like 
like, do you remember when the series opened? So I, I just really love that about episode 29. I truly think it's like one of the best episodes of Gundam Wing made. Agreed. I like it because of the dogs. They're cute. It's a great episode. Yeah. Hero gets to smile. He threw a pineapple, which is not normally how one plays fetch, but go on, Hiro. <laughs> oh, the European pineapple. You, you, you use what you yeah. have. He's resourceful. Famous European pineapple. Um, <laughs> I, I wanted to say, since you said episode 29 is sort of like a reset point, that episode 30 was fascinating in terms of editing, because I think they were doing a lot of weird kind of nonlinear, like flashing back edits here that they haven't really done before plus those real contrasting edits so I'm curious to see if we're going to see more of that going forward so on that note I'm going to turn us to our fandom artifact which today is Mobile Suit Gundam Wing Endless Duel not Endless Waltz So this is a head-to-head fighting game that was released exclusively in Japan in 1996. And while I was looking up the exact year that this was released, the wiki for this game told me that its developers used the same engine in another game, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, but they improved it for Endless Duel, which I think you can tell. So the game was only released in Japan, but Kat's gotten really into eBay in quarantine. Yeah, um, you know, I don't know, going to eBay cycles where you're like, oh yeah, I can definitely nurse this really niche interest. Um, So I hooked up my Super Nintendo system and grabbed this because we had talked about the different Gundam games in an earlier episode. So they've done an English hack, basically. It's like the game in English, but in an SNES cartridge. It's really cool. You can pick from all of the different Gundam. Wing, Deathsai, Heavy Arm, Sanrock, and Shenlong, and then you can also be Tall Geese, who's piloted by Zex. Even though Tall Geese does not look like Tall Geese on the show, it's gray, like the figure on the screen is gray instead of white. It just doesn't look like it at all. You can be the untitled Tall Geese, title of podcast. You can also be Mercurius, who's piloted by Noin, and you can be They A, who unpilots. Yeah, so the only main character you can't really play is Trace. I guess Relina, but that would be... That would be weird. That would be actually an incredible secret character, but she's not a secret character. (laughs) One, the MIDI version of the theme for this game is so good. is also really yeah great. I really the pixel art is great um, and I don't I'm not sure if it's because it's like a hack or whatever um, but it, I mean it looks awesome yeah and I mean all the Gundam pilots look better in this game than they do sometimes in the show everybody's really on model yeah everyone is very on model and it's only it's because they only had to draw one model <laughs> As we were playing, one of the things that I thought was really funny was that Heavy Arms in the game is actually a really formidable opponent. (laughs) It was the combatant that we had the most difficulty beating. And granted, this is because like I'm not a gamer and have really bad hand-eye coordination, 
Um, but it's like, I just thought it was really funny because we talk a lot of shit about <laughs> heavy arms on this podcast and I had a really hard time beating it on this game. So yeah. it showed me. It's technically not like the high, a higher ranked one, but I, I got my ass kicked. Yeah, who, who did, did you, you play, play as? as? We sort of cycled through. I like Desize, but I think he's not super, Duo's not like super powerful. Because I actually used to play an emulator version of this when I was in middle school. And I would load it up in our family computer in the basement. Oh I would sneak downstairs. Kathy, you're so and I would cool. play this. And Shenlong is like hands down the best one. Oh, Shenlong is Duel. absolutely the best Gundam. He is I- so good in Endless Duel. Like I remember because I was not a very good gamer either. And like Shenlong <laughs> was the only way that I could progress through this game. <laughs> I've beaten Heavy Arms one time with Shenlong thus far, so I'm hoping the next the next girl and we've played this like three times. Yeah. To anybody who is like, wow, this they're terrible. Yes, but also <laughs> um, But also it's the first time that I've turned on an SNES in like ten years. So Yeah. Yeah, it's been a while. Question, is there a storyline at all? There's a story mode, but you just play it it's basically like beat every dude yeah there's not really a lot yeah. of the story is there is no, yeah okay. the there, story is war there's cutscenes like when you when you beat somebody or like when they defeat you you'll get the character show up and say a little quip yeah the winning pilot always gets like a little title card after each match we will post some photos of examples on our instagram one of Troas was literally just dot dot dot. <laughs> so it's pretty incredible. Um, like he beats you and then says nothing. He also tells you that your impatience is a most noticeable flaw, which I did not appreciate, Tro Barton. <laughs> that is pretty Does, rude. Did he call us fools? He oh, he says we are all... all fools. It's like he's been listening to us diss heavy arms in this podcast and now has gotten his revenge it, it did feel that way and there there is a secret character just like there is in mighty Morphin power rangers i can spoil it or not either way spoil us if you defeat everything in hard you get an epion so you can play as epion at miliardo peacecraft so um <gasps> whoa although epion is apparently like super powerful so what i learned when i got this is apparently it's gaining a little more traction on the competitive fighting game circuit in the past few years i found s- several posts um there's a tournament at magfest in 2018 according to twitter epion is like so super powered that he is not tournament eligible <laughs> So Kathy from middle school is going to apply to play as Shenlong. That's what I should have done. You know, that that's, that is the alternate universe, Kathy, who actually got really good it's at SNES emulators game. and then became yeah. a professional fighting game pro. This was fun, though. Would recommend. I used to play a ton of fucking Tekken yeah. and Mortal Kombat as a kid, but I'm still more of a button masher than anything. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. I liked it, um, and you can adjust your levels so you can play with non-fighting game people or, like, whatever. So if you can find it on eBay, you should do it. Thanks so much for joining us again, and we'll see you next time. 
have any questions, comments, petty disagreements, or adoration you want to share, we'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at TalkiesPod. We also have full transcriptions on our Tumblr, untitledtalkiespodcast.tumblr.com. And you can follow us on Instagram at untitledtalkiespodcast for fandom artifacts, sneak peeks, and more. Until next time, thanks! <laughs>